Lord, we thank you for this rainy morning. We thank you, Lord, uh, for the coming of nicer weather. And Lord, we pray uh, somewhat selfishly for a beautiful Easter morning. Uh, we thank you for the time between now and then when we think about uh, what your son Jesus went through in Jerusalem in the last week of his life. Lord, we thank you for his laying down his life for us, uh, taking our sins upon his shoulders so that we could have his righteousness as our own. And Lord, we pray that uh, as we look at prayer this morning, that we would be uh, opening our hearts and minds to your word. And Lord, looking at how it is that we can approach you in a, a more fitting way, in a more humble way, in a, uh, a way that is more in keeping with who you are, the God of the universe, the creator of, and sustainer of everything, Lord, the author and finisher of our faith and, and of our salvation. Lord, we pray that we would um, never begin to talk to you as if you were just a, a voice in our head or uh, our invisible butler or something. Uh, Lord, we know we always have the tendency to create idols even as they did in Israel, uh, idols that we call God, Lord, we pray that we would dash those to pieces and uh, fall on our faces in repentance before you, the one true God. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so, um, conversation. Somebody shut the door there for me and we'll get a little quieter. Um, we had finished by asking, what is the purpose of prayer? A quick recap. Uh, I had asked, is it to give God information that he lacks? We said no, and uh, we read Psalm 139, 2-4. Uh, we also could have read uh, Matthew 6, uh, in which Jesus says that before you even ask, God already knows what it is that you need or want. Uh, then we asked, is it to alter God's mind or will? We said no. We looked at James 1. Uh, there is no shadow of turning or no uh, change uh, in, in the light uh, on God that he is indeed the source of light and he is therefore eternally the same yesterday, today, and forever. And then we said, why exactly do we pray? And we read 1 John 5, 14. Does someone want to flip to that and uh, re-enter us back into the conversation here via that text? Oh, I had a... Oh, and this is the confidence that we have towards him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Okay. We ask anything according to his will, he hears us. He wants to hear from us. He wants us to ask for things, and he wants us to do it according to his will. He will hear us. That is something that most adherents of most religions can't really say with confidence. That uh, when I speak to my God, he hears me. Maybe I didn't kill enough goats Maybe I wasn't brave enough in battle. Maybe I haven't done enough good deeds uh, this month. Maybe I haven't kept our super specific rules fastidiously enough, and God is just not listening. Or, for much of human history, maybe my God is off fighting some other God. Or, as Elijah said, taunting the priests of Baal, maybe he's pooping. So, our God is spirit. He is omnipotent, omniscient, infinitely greater and above us, and yet also here imminent and intimately present with us, meaning we can speak to him, he will hear us, he wants to hear us, and he is not only interested, but mighty to answer our prayers. And that is, I mean, this is all the best news you could possibly get when you ask the question of what is prayer. Uh, since a couple of people weren't here last week, let me actually read the Keech's 
question and answer. 109 is, what is prayer? Prayer is an offering of our desires to God for things agreeable to his will in the name of Christ with confession of our sins and thankful acknowledgement of his mercies. Uh, and Sean wanted to say, hold on, if we miss one of those, I mean, it's not a prayer. And I think maybe implied in this is that uh, biblical prayer ideally is all these things perfectly. We do know that our God hears our imperfect prayers and part of what it means that he mediates for us is that he takes our prayers and makes them acceptable uh, to God himself. Otherwise, every one of our prayers would be tainted with our selfishness, our sinfulness, and therefore unacceptable to God. So thank God for a mediator. I guess that's probably what makes the difference between us and all of the people in the world going, I don't know if my God's going to hear me this time or if it's just going to make him mad that I ask for something. So that, that um, answer kind of includes uh, the classic acts thing. Do you guys remember this? Maybe as a kid or maybe in a cute Sunday school class somewhere you heard prayer uh, should be comprised of A-C-T-S. Does anyone remember what those are? Adoration, confession, thankfulness, thanksgiving, and supplication. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. Um, And here we see petition, confession, and thanksgiving. uh, And the the A of Acts, we would just kind of include in thanksgiving. Adoring God and uh, being thankful to him. I don't know how you separate those two things. Even when he's telling us who he is, he's reminding us of the things he's done for us. All the way back to, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, who formed you in your mother's womb, who all, all the things he's done for us. Here is, I think, an, an interesting question about the, the various words that we see here in, in the answer, the, the pieces of prayer. Jonathan Edwards, in his diary, I don't know if you guys ever, this is like a super Theobro thing to do, is to obsess over Jonathan Edwards, not just his resolutions, but his diaries, like day by day, as if it were some deuterocanonical kind of thing. But uh, he wrote, It is best to be careful in prayer not to put up those petitions of which I do not feel a sincere desire, for thereby my prayer is rendered less sincere, less acceptable to God, and less useful to myself. Whereas I think we see uh, in the answer to the Baptist catechism question here that from the various words offered up uh, that it is good and right to bring our will to God as long as we subject it to his will. But perhaps there is some place where those two things overlap, right? Is it okay in saying, I'm going to bring my will to God to pray for things that I don't 100% want? Why would you pray for something you don't want? Uh, here's an example. Augustine's thing, give me chastity, but not yet, sort of thing. I think Augustine was praying for exactly what he wanted there. <laughs> uh, I think an example would be when Jesus says, uh, pray for those who persecute you. Oh, okay. What if I really want the one persecuting me to fall into a bottomless pit and hit a tree branch every 10 feet and fall forever? It's still technically a prayer for that person, right? I suppose, yeah, right. <laughs> but instead I pray for that person's health right. and that they would find God and, and not be and not fall under God's judgment and that they would uh, be blessed. Now, in my flesh anyway, I don't want that. But when he talks about, when Edwards talks about 
things he sincerely wants, I think it would be, I'd be hard-pressed to say, oh, no, no, I want these things just in the spirit. All my thoughts might tend in the other direction and my impulses and my real gut desires, but I want, I mean, I think Jesus kind of assumes that we will, at least at first, when he first gets working on us, be praying for things we don't want because we'll want to want them. Is that second degree close enough? I want to want good things for my enemies. So when I pray for my enemies, I'm still praying for my sincere desires. Could you take that second step and just start with praying for the desire to want that? Sure, but then you're just praying for yourself. Right. I think that's good. I think that is a, a good starting point. Lord, by the time I'm done praying, give me a desire to pray for the people that I don't want to pray for. Anyone else have uh, a thought on whether it's unsafe or insincere or less profitable for us or acceptable to God when we offer prayers that may push against our sincere desires? It, what he was saying is it almost, it almost makes it sound like having, part of, having that as part of your prayer kind of taints the rest of it. It sounds like it, yeah. It's rendered, the whole thing is rendered less sincere. I agree with that. Yeah, and, and I think maybe if you're Jonathan Edwards and you've reached a point where like most of your desires are for, you know, I mean, was it Jonathan Edwards or Wesley? I think it might have been Edwards who like stopped along the, the path, got off his horse because he hadn't been harassed or mocked in, su in some time and prayed, Lord, what am I doing wrong? And then someone saw him and threw a clot of dirt at him, and he was like, oh, I'm good. Got on his horse, undoubtedly praying for that man, because he's an incredibly godly-minded person you know, whose, whose new affections have displaced and expelled so many of the old affections that maybe it's easy for him to say, yeah, I just pray for the things I sincerely want. Whereas the rest of us are sitting back here going, I still don't want all the things I want to want, and I believe praying for them even when you don't want them, is part of how God works in prayer to kind of re continue making us into a new creation, remaking us. Um, it's like the old C.S. Lewis uh, thing about don't wait until you love someone, go about loving them. And then you'll find by and by that you do feel love for them. But who cares if you feel the love for them? Love is a thing you do, so do it. Uh, and then the kind of affection aspect of it will follow but don't worry about waiting to feel some kind of butterflies in your stomach about your enemy. Just love them. And I would say the same thing is true about prayer. Uh, and, and even in your own life, you know, I don't want humility, but I know I'm supposed to be praying for it. Or I don't want, you know, X. You do it anyway, because that is submitting your will to God's will. Or you say, Lord, give me riches, fame, etc., but not my will, but your will be done. I don't know, that seems like a, kind of dishonest way to go about it anyway, because we know that's not God's will for us, uh, for us to be just satisfied in the flesh. Uh, I think that there's, there's four little things I jotted down. Submitting to God's will means uh, saying, I'm going to pray for these things that are, and we already have here in the answer as well, built in, agreeable to his will. I would rather pray for things that I know are God's will than things that are my will that I know aren't God's will. Uh, so if I'm only going to pray where the two overlap, I'm only going to be praying to reinforce things that are already right in my heart, right? That's, that I think is, is silly. Secondly, we're being made new, we're being changed, and I do believe that a big part of what prayer is, is how God 
is changing us. Look at, for example, Moses and God haggling, or Joshua and God haggling, or even Abraham and God over how many righteous people need to be in the city or whatever. When, when God is said to relent, the word is actually even shuv, repent. And you go, God repented? Yeah, he changed direction. He was going, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kill everybody. And Moses starts talking to him. And by the end of the exchange, God says, okay, I'm not going to kill everybody. And you say, is that what prayer is? God was going to do one thing and then we changed his mind? No, this is God revealing part of who he is, a new aspect of who he is to Moses, reinforcing that he is merciful, reinforcing that he will keep his covenant even when we break it. This is part of his self-revelation. And I think this happens, and I know this has happened for me in prayer, in which I pray for something, it's answered in an unexpected way, and God then is not just doing for the person I was praying for, or the situation I was praying for, but working on me in answering the prayer and in the way he answers the prayer, uh, reinforcing in me things that, that are pleasing to him and agreeable to his will. And then I think that uh, asking for the desire, like Aaron mentioned, is a good way to start, but I don't think that's where we want to stop. Uh, if you're finding yourself not wanting to pray for a person that you despise or anything good for them anyway, uh, and go, oh, but God said to pray for our enemies, to love our enemies. All right, I need to pray, first of all, that he will give me the strength to do it, because in myself, I totally can never have the strength to do it. Or if I look at myself and say, you know, I'm finding all of my gratification in something that's not him, whether it's my job, or the money I make, or the video game I'm good at, or whatever it is, I can't just say, well, I don't want to stop that, so I'll just see if God takes care of it. You know, he's, he's started the good work in me, he'll be faithful to, I'm just going to be hands-off, laissez-faire about it. No, I think we have to say, God, I really don't want, at least in the flesh, for you to change the orientation of my mind toward you, but do it anyway. And then as that prayer is answered, it becomes what I want. I think remembering that God's outside of time. We can pray based on the desires we don't yet have, but trusting in his promises that we will have them. Does that make sense? For things agreeable to his will, and again, that doesn't emphasize our will, but his, and I'm not picking on Jonathan Edwards. If someone read your diary every day, every week of your whole life, what you wrote, they'd find all sorts of stuff that seemed off base. <laughs> but I've, I've heard that trotted out more than once in, in teaching on prayer. And I, I, I think it's, it's his own diary. It's not for others to read. For him, it was helpful for him to remind himself, pray what you sincerely want. But he was Jonathan Edwards. So the things he sincerely wanted are the things that you and I sincerely want to want. Uh, how can we know, though, that we're asking for something that's in line with the mysterious, unfathomable will of an infinite God? Learn about his will by reading. Okay. <laughs> You're saying that maybe he already told us what his will is in most situations that we're going to encounter in our lives. Interesting. Last week we talked about the notion of listening prayer, a contemplative prayer, or uh, clearing the mind and repeating a mantra type thing uh, that is often trotted out, not so much maybe as popular as it was 10 years ago, but still you hear it. Uh, and, and so there are sects in which they would say, this is how you hear from God. And I'm going, that thing right next to you is a lot more trustworthy than the conduit of your empty mind. Uh, yeah, I think that is, we, we pray in keeping with his revealed will. When it comes to situations that are so specific that maybe we don't know what his revealed will 
you know, how his revealed will intersects with that, what job I should take, um, you know, what I should do about this or that specific interpersonal situation. I think what we need to do is trust that he will sort it out and you just put it in his hands and pray for what you do want. Still submitting your will to his, not, not what I will, but what you will. How do you guys deal with the situation where you, you go, I want, I need, I need help knowing what to do, or I need some, something to make this situation not a mess, but I've read as much of the word as I can trying to find something that touches this, and I can't. It seems like it's outside of what God addresses in Scripture. I find comfort in knowing that the Holy Spirit intercedes for us. Mm-hmm. And I think, like, sometimes I literally just pray, like, help me, Lord. And I, I don't know, I find comfort even in that, knowing that even though I don't know what God's will is in this, the Holy Spirit will be praying specifically for what is needed in this situation, and it will be done for <laughs> me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I find that comforting. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that's both. I mean, modeled, we're going to talk about different kinds of prayer uh, in, a, in a few minutes, modeled in situations like in Nehemiah 1, where the arrow prayer just goes up, like, help me out. The, the you know, Jesus take the wheel prayer or whatever. Like, uh, this car's going one way or the other. Lord, I am looking to you and, and the um, casting all your cares on him, right? I mean, when it's weighing you down and you're going, I don't know what I'm wrestling with, to just go, uh, you know, who could probably handle all this better? Here you go. And trusting he will be able to steer the car or steer the conversation or do whatever it is that, that we need done or, or even give us clarity of thought about a hard decision or, or situation. I think also um, God uses other Christians in your life who may have gone through something that you're dealing with. Whether or not they can give you an answer is one thing, but like even just talking through it and knowing that they would be praying for you can be helpful. Yeah, certainly. Yeah, you, you want to bring more people into the mix, both for counsel and for prayer, uh, when you're dealing with a trial, a struggle of some kind. If we are talking about... Now, what you'll hear from skeptics is that there's kind of a twofold why bother aspect to prayer. Both because we know God is already well aware of our thoughts, desires, needs, etc. He said so much uh, in the word before we pray, so why tell him? And because if he is sovereign and has decreed from eternity past all that will come to pass, what's the point of us then coming to him and saying, basically, God, do whatever you were going to do anyway. Uh, we trust that it's good. How would you answer either or both of those objections? Or that I just crush someone's faith and they're never going to pray again. Oh, well, we are commanded to pray. Okay, so part of it's simply obedience. Yeah. Maybe God wanted to see if you would do something pointless to see if you're quality enough of a follower. I am. I am taking the devil's advocate position here. By the way, I don't. I don't believe any of these things. Um, this is rather simplistic, yeah. but when I'm praying with my grandkids at bedtime. And I want one of them to pray, and Alana says, I don't want to pray. I said, you know, God really likes to hear from you. He made you, and you're special, so he wants you to talk to him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know if that's a grandma thing, but I kind of believe it. You 
A grandma thing. <laughs> so not only has he commanded us to do this, he delights in it, and and we should as well. Well, and you've used the illustration before of like an actual earthly parent having made this person, and if then your child never like talked to you about what they needed, even though you know that they need like food, shelter, whatever, and you provide those things because they need that, and that's your role, but if your kid never talked to you... Yeah, it's not a great relationship. Yeah, yeah. or never, and never said thank you. Right. Like there's, there's more yeah. to uh, prayer than just asking for yeah. stuff. And so, yeah, we could say... Like it, it benefits the relationship. From the get-go, you know, we could say, all right, well, you're only picking at one component of prayer. Us praising God, obviously he knows that he's great and, and worthy to be praised, but we still want to praise him because we have to. If we didn't, the very rocks would cry out, right? Next week, Palm Sunday, then there's thanking him for all that he's done. He may know that we're thankful, but why would we not tell him? It's just like if I give Kelvin a gift, I will know that he's thankful, but he will tell me and I will love hearing it. Um, and then uh, there's uh, confession of sins. That's keeping, uh, he knows that I've sinned. He knows the state of my heart, whether I'm heartbroken or not. And yet, just like in the Old Testament, there was an economy of grace where you, he knew the hearts of everyone and yet they still prefigured Christ through the sacrificial system and all of these things. Now we come to him and confess the sins, turn from our sin, and he forgives us. So yeah, even leaving aside the, the notion of bringing petitions to him and, and asking him for things, prayer is in no way cheapened by the fact that God knows what we're going to say before we say it. And it, when you add petitions to the mix, it's the same sort of thing. Like Aaron said, that it, it keeps a relationship good to, to talk. If you, if you think about like really rich guys from the early 20th century who send their, their children off to boarding school and are distant emotionally, but every need is met, whatever you need, you know, there's more than enough money. There's more than enough resources, more than enough everything that's still a super sad situation. And we have a God who is infinitely able to supply our every need. And yet if we just sort of get the checks in the mail or whatever, and just kind of once in a while say to someone, yeah, I got a really great dad in heaven. He's good. Yeah. It's still, that's a sad situation and a lack of a real relationship. So I think someone's coming at it from a very, if you come at it from a skeptical, cynical point of view, you'll see something that you can describe in cynical terms. If you come at it from someone who's actually been in God's presence and knows why we pray, you know, experientially knows why we pray, that cynical frame of mind doesn't make any sense at all. Well, and I think also another aspect of it is that all of the different things, whether, you know, confession of sins or thanking God for his provision, all of that is important for you to do as an individual because you could easily go a long time without thinking of any of these things. Yeah, God knows your sins, but you need to know your sins. Mm -hmm. And God knows that you're thankful, but you need to recognize that these things are from God and not from something that I got, that I could do. So it's <coughs> for us as well in our sanctification. Yeah. Somebody open up to Ephesians 3, if you would. And read for us verses 14 through 20. Alrighty. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, 
that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. One more. Oh, sorry. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. One more. <laughs> to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. What do you learn about the reason for Paul getting on his knees before the Father in, in that passage? Look it over again uh, for a moment. He mentions being strengthened multiple times. Strengthened so that Christ may dwell in our hearts. Strengthened so that we can comprehend the amazing power and glory of God and the love of Christ. Mm -hmm. And that you may be filled with the fullness of God. These are all the content of his prayer and obviously then the reason for his going before God in prayer. And at the end, he acknowledges that this is a God who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. I think that's an, according to the power at work within us. I think that's a great uh, verse to commit to memory. God is able to do far more abundantly than all that you ask or think. So if you ever feel silly for what you pray, like it seems like it's too big a prayer or something, you actually can't think something that even gets to the point of not being laughably small compared to what God is capable of doing. You can't even think that high. You, you, don't, you lack the capacity as a human to do that. Uh, when you read something like that and then hear someone say, but why bother to pray if God already knows? I mean, the whole thing just sort of folds in on itself, I think. As Christians, we, can, we, we don't usually buy into that. We don't say, yeah, you win the argument. There is no reason to pray. But people will often fall into uh, seasons of prayerlessness because these kind of circuits are connected in their head, and they think, well, God knows. I don't have time. You know, I'll pray tomorrow. Well, God, you know, God, here I am asking for this. And you're like, okay, I didn't take any time for prayer, but it doesn't say pray without ceasing, and I sort of talk to him for a moment there. And before long, you fall into a sort of pragmatic, practical atheism where you say, yeah, why bother to say something to God that he already knows? So I think reading passages like this and being reminded of from the very beginning, what is it that God does in the cool of the evening in the Garden of Eden? Comes and walks with Adam and Eve. Probably, I'm guessing, what'd you do today? What'd you name today? What happened today? Does he know the answer? Yes. When Calvin was in preschool and I'd pick him up, A, they, already, they had like cameras. I would only get a preschool that already had cameras that I could watch because I was so like, what if they're evil? Calvinism. Um, but also, yeah, they played, they did finger painting. It's preschool. I know the answer. And yet, you know, you ask, what did you do today of the, the, the little child? Because that's just a nice thing to do. Yeah, again, we made that person. And that's not the, I mean, God made that person. But, we, no, but that's not the end of it. Okay, there, we, that, that's done. No, God created us. And there's a certain kind of deism 
that kind of assumes, all right, he just wants us to do our best and, and do more good than evil. And at the end, he'll say, yeah, okay, and nod at us like that rich father who sent his son off to uh, boarding school and, and they only ever shake hands and never hug. And we, that's not who God is at all. He comes down every day in the cool. And then even when sin enters the picture and they're expelled and he says, oh, I can't come down and walk in their presence like without anything between us. Now they know their nakedness. Now there's sin. Now there's, so he immediately begins with the building toward redemption. Here is this system by which you can worship me. And there is blood atonement. And it's pointing forward to when I myself, uh, God, the son will come down and die on a cross so that there can once again be this total openness. All of that, and we're going to go, I might have time later on today to pray, but right now I don't really. I've got so much to do. Uh, I probably have beat this into the ground like the horse is no longer visible. Uh, I'm just beating the dirt on top of the horse. But I love that Luther quote of, uh, I have too much to do today to spend less than three hours in prayer. That, that's, and, and it sounds apocryphal. It sounds like something someone would attribute to him. It's definitely Luther, and it's definitely good stuff. It's early Luther before he started going like, um, we, we do need to come to him in prayer for strength to do anything. And as we pray for what we want and what we want to want, he is changing our affections via that process. That will always be part of how God is working on us. And when people say, I haven't seen as much sanctification in the last couple of years as possible, my first question, or as I would expect rather, you know, I look back and I go, this sanctification has been tepid lately. When I first got saved, it was like, oh, and then it kind of leveled off. And it's not because I've reached sinless perfection. It just has, my first question is going to be, what's your prayer life look like? And if it looks like kind of, crickets, there's your answer right away. And probably if it looks like it did right when you got saved, also there's your answer. As you become more holy, your prayers ought to more reflect that until you get to the point where like Jonathan Edwards, you can say, I, I pray only for things I sincerely desire, which is all the godly stuff. We're also here uh, told in the, the answer to the question, what is prayer? That we pray then in the name of Christ. Uh, that's, we mentioned last week, doesn't mean saying the words in Jesus' name, amen, at the end of your prayer, uh, or in the precious, precious, matchless, amazing name of Jesus, or however, you know, really good prayers sometimes will, will end their, their prayers. What does it mean to pray in the name of, of Christ? We're going through Jesus to get to God. I think you're hitting the nail on the head there. First and foremost, the name in the Bible is the identity, right, of the person, uh, Jesus' identity for us. I mean, his name is Jesus, which means Yeshua in Hebrew means, come on. Savior. Savior, yes. Savior. Uh, or, or salvation, actually. So we are going through him as our mediator to God. I think that first and foremost, that's what it means, um, that we are praying in the name of Christ, through the person of Christ, the identity of who Christ is for and, and to us, and I think it also overlaps greatly with for things agreeable to his will. Because his identity also is going to include kind of, yeah, his character, what it is that he modeled for us when he walked the earth, what he commanded us then to, to follow him in doing, taking up our cross, uh, denying ourselves, loving our neighbor, all the rest. Uh, it's a futile thing to pray for something 
that we know is contrary to God's will, and it's actually super bad for us. And I am not going to say it's a prayer that will never be answered. I think the danger would be if it was answered. Uh, so there are times in Scripture when people ask for something, and God's like, that is not my will. For example, uh, we want a king like all the nations. No, you don't. Yeah, we totally do. Here you go. And then before long, we don't like this king like all the nations. You know, I'm not too big of a God to say I told you so. Kind of has the subtext after that. So, yeah, we, it's up to us to, to at least endeavor to pray things that are in keeping with who God is, who Jesus uh, was as he walked the earth and is as he, as he mediates for us on the throne. And as we do that, all the more, we will be being sanctified. It's like when you read scripture, you know, they talk about, the, there's the principle of the hermeneutical circle, but I think it should be called the hermeneutical spiral. I didn't make that up. It came from Grant Osborne, maybe. Um, that you come to a text and you interact with the scriptural text. It has an effect on you and changes who you are because God's word is powerful. And then the next time you come back around to it, you're a different person and it has a different effect on you. Spiral instead of circle, because it's not just this going around and around like a merry-go-round, but it's getting closer and closer and closer, ideally, to fully understanding this thing and having it fully uh, make you into the image of, of Christ insofar as that text is concerned with the image of Christ and, and who Jesus is and who we should be. And the same thing is true of prayer. You know, every time we come to him in prayer, we are a different person and if we are praying people and submitting our will to him, we will be more and more like Jesus and less and less uh, rooted in the old Adam. Respond to this. We should not pray for anything that is not grounded in some aspect of the person or work of Jesus Christ. I'll say it again. We should not pray for anything that is not grounded in some aspect of the person or work of Jesus Christ. <laughs> What's that? The answer, everything is, so yes. Everything? I don't think so. If I'm praying that I'm going to hit the high score on Mario Kart, that doesn't have anything to do with the personal work of Jesus Christ. That's frivolous, right? You said yes, but you sounded like you, you thought maybe I was trying to trick you? Yeah, we're trying to figure out what you're going for. So, um, like, you know, we were talking about kids praying. So thinking about when, like, Levi prays, sometimes he prays for things like, I want a new toy. Mm -hmm. That's not necessarily something that's, um, you know, according to God's will or anything, but he is bringing things that are in his mind, like something that he desires or something that he, um, you know, is important in his little childhood life to God. And thinking of God as the source of all good things, right. ultimately. So, or playing you because he knows you're hearing his prayers. That old sermon illustration, uh, God's not deaf. Yeah, but grandma is hard of hearing or something. Um, yeah, so I, I, I don't know. I actually, I, I didn't make up that phrase. I've heard it trotted out as gospel truth. And I agree that, that my response to it is, yeah. But I don't like pre-check all of my prayers and go, okay, now what aspect of Christ's character is this rooted in? And this, uh, I think it may be worth kind of informally low-key auditing our prayers once in a while and saying, 
what is it that I'm bringing before the God of the universe? Are these things that kind of fall into the same sort of stuff Jesus prayed for and told us to pray for? Or is it me bringing stuff that's rooted in uh, satisfaction in worldly things or uh, a lack of trust in his provision tomorrow or, or whatever? That's not necessarily something that's, um, you know, according to God's will or anything, but he is bringing things that are in his mind, like something that he desires or something that he... Um, you know, it's important in his little childhood life to God. So, yeah, okay. Like, I don't think I've ever thought of it in terms of, like, is it rooted in Christ's character or something like that. But I think that when you when you run into things that you don't feel are answered, that's when you, like, step back and think, okay, am I asking for something I shouldn't be asking for? When we think about what we should pray, probably our minds should go quickly to the, the, what we call the Lord's Prayer. Um, and we're going to look at that petition by petition. And if you can kind of put whatever it is you're praying for under the umbrella of one of those petitions, I think we can already know. And if we're using that as our model prayer, then I think we can already know that what I'm praying for is, it's, it's not going to be counter to who Christ is because he wouldn't teach us to pray counter to who he is and what he came to do. Well, like with Levi's toy, that's not like a daily bread thing because that's not something you need. Mm -hmm. Right. But well, we it, often pray for things we don't need. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll pray for a difficult situation to be resolved. And there is nothing wrong with that as long as uh, we're not tying our opinion of God on whether or not he answers that prayer right away. It may very well be that the continuing of that situation for a while will contribute to our being refined more and more like gold and becoming more and more like Jesus. Uh, so I think that would be the kind of thing that you can't really say, uh, what exactly is this toy going to do for me? But if I'm, if I'm thinking in broader terms, categories, like wanting comforts and praying for them, wanting the pandemic to end, praying in June 2020, Lord, this has gone on so long, uh, please end it. Uh, you can say, well, Jesus prayed, if this cup can possibly pass from me, Lord, I'm asking for it, but not my will, but your will be done. And there's a submitting of his will to the Father's will. And I think following that model is a pretty safe way to go. I don't know, unless there's something particular about being God the Son, and I think then you're getting into all sorts of wonky... Um, okay, so like, let's say there's something that you've prayed for for a long time that doesn't seem to be answered, like Paul's thorn in the flesh thing. I can't imagine that Paul was praying outside of the, the character of Christ or like expectations that God would give you comfort, God would give you healing, whatever. Um, so what do you do with a, with a prayer like that? That's just, but you're also told to keep praying and keep praying and... God did answer that prayer, remember? I prayed three times that the thorn would right. be removed and, and God that. answered, not no, but... <laughs> My grace is sufficient. My grace is sufficient. And, now he, and I mean, how does Paul hear from the Spirit uh, versus how you and I hear from God? I don't know. But like there was something definitive about that right. for him. And he recognized this is so, so that I won't get a... He After the third yeah. time he did. Yeah. yeah. He knew the reason for it as well. So if you haven't gotten that peace about it, like if somebody has a health issue or, you know, insomnia or whatever, and you haven't 
had that moment of God saying, like, my grace is sufficient for you, like, what do you do? You keep praying and never give up. Yeah. That's what Jesus said. Yeah, and you, you but pray. you don't assume that it's outside of his will. No. Yeah. Why, why would you? I mean, that's, that's so in keeping with Jesus' teaching about prayer. Yeah. To keep on praying. Uh, I mean, so that woman was praying uh, in the world of the parable. She was pleading for, and, and like we saw last week, um, the, the two main words in the Hebrew uh, essentially overlap in the idea of pleading. Uh, one of them, uh, atar, uh, continually it takes the form of atari, which always cracks me up when I'm in the Old Testament, um, if you put a first-person uh, ending on it. But uh, the, the notion of pleading for justice for her case, and you could say, well, kind of torturing the parable world back into our prayer life, there could be times when we're praying for justice and praying for justice for ourselves. You know, there's someone at work who is taking credit for my, my work or uh, is treating me like garbage. And you could say, well, maybe I've prayed for it for six weeks and God has an answer. I must assume then that God is, has a purpose for this or that it's within his specific will. Or do you say, just like that woman, I keep praying and never give up? Or, you know, you get to the idea of people's salvation. I prayed for that person for 30 years and they still haven't come to faith. Okay, I know people who have prayed for someone for 40 and then they did. So keep praying. And it would praying. always be God's will that somebody would come to faith, right? I, mean, I think well, you've opened the wrong can of worms for this discussion. Um, God's moral will is that the, not, never that the wicked would perish, but that they would repent and believe. Yeah. Uh, but he could grant faith to, to anyone and that gets into... Issues of election and that sort of thing. We've already been through that dangerous ground. Uh, I think we're going to probably wrap it up there because I have to make sure there is a working screen for Jenny Pazinski uh, for her PowerPoint. And at Christmas, speaking of prayer, I spent the whole first part of the service not even enjoying the music or anything, but just praying that the way I had the screen so tenuously balanced it wouldn't fall down. Uh, and so I'm going to try and do a better job uh, this time. I don't want uh, our missionary to get uh, injured during her time speaking to us today. So uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Uh, Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the gift of being able to come into your presence, knowing we can come boldly to the throne of grace, not shaking with fear and trembling like Esther had to come before Xerxes, but Lord, knowing that you welcome us like a father welcoming a son or daughter uh, to come and say to you what is on our heart. Lord, we pray that we would be uh, discerning about what we bring before you, Lord, that we would seek to, to uh, honor you by how we pray. But Lord, more than anything, our desire would be to pray that we wouldn't get caught up in, in details to the point of, of turning this into an academic exercise or, or doubting whether we should bring X or Y before you. Lord, we pray we would just bring our hearts, cast our cares upon you, and trust you to uh, take our prayers as uh, misguided as they often are, uh, mediated to you uh, and presented before you, acceptable, and Lord, then make our hearts into the hearts more and more that would pray prayers that are already acceptable. Uh, Lord, we, we know that you are at work uh, through your spirit, remaking us in the image of Christ. 
We pray where there has been any stalling of that work, that uh, we would come to you tirelessly, asking you to, to start it again and submit ourselves to you. We pray also along those lines that we would not ask you to do things we're not willing to cooperate with, that we would not ask you to uh, save someone if we're not willing to proclaim the gospel, that we would not ask you to comfort someone if we're not willing to sit with them uh, in their sorrow and, and tears. Lord, that we would be your hands and feet and, and Lord, constantly, without ceasing, be coming into your presence uh, for fellowship, uh, the, the sweet fellowship of prayer. We pray all this in Jesus' name and pray also for uh, our guest today who has done such tireless and brave and amazing work in Thailand, Lord, as we hear about that. We pray that you would bless us uh, and, and Lord, we are always excited to hear reports uh, from our overseas missionaries and, and to us, Jenny Pazinski has been such a special partner in ministry and, and Lord, we're so excited to hear about what has been going on since the last time we heard from her. We pray, Lord, that you would uh, inspire us through it, help us to support her whatever ways we can. And Lord, we pray that you would uh, just multiply the impact of the ministry that's happening there in Thailand among populations of young women who are either rescued from or in danger of uh, human trafficking and, and these horrible things. God bless, uh, we ask that you bless uh, Jenny and, and that all that work and all those who are there in her absence doing that work. Uh, we pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.